Information discussed in this podcast may be sensitive in nature to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Patrick Alford Jr. was a typical seven-year-old boy in 2010. He was kind-hearted, he loved to play video games, and he loved playing basketball. But Patrick's life wasn't all fun and games. His mom, Jennifer, was a teenager when she had him, and she would go on to have a little girl just three years later. She had her hands full. Jennifer also battled with some depression, she had had a rough home life herself. She wanted to give her children a better life than she had. But she continued to struggle. The children's father, although he was in the picture somewhat, also found himself mixed up in some of the New York City gang life. Patrick's childhood didn't start out in the best way. At age seven, after some intense family drama, Patrick and his little sister were taken from Jennifer and put into foster care. Shortly after going to a new foster home, Patrick started to rebel and developed behavioral problems. He had threatened to hurt the other kids in the home. He threatened to hurt himself. And he continued to say he was going to run away and go back to his real mom. On January 22nd, 2010, Patrick was taking the trash to the trash chute of their 11th floor apartment. His foster mom was supposed to be following him, but she got a phone call that she answered instead. When she went into the hall afterwards, Patrick was nowhere to be found. In fact, Patrick hasn't been seen or heard from since. Where is Patrick Kennedy Alford Jr.? Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Where Are They podcast and another unsolved missing person case. The story of Patrick hurts my heart because, yet again, it is a story of a child who was given a rough start in life through no fault of their own. A child who fell into the broken Child Protective Services Organization within the United States. A child who had never really been given a chance in life. Just like the other cases of children in the system that have gone missing, children such as Harmony Montgomery, Oakley Carlson, Adam Herman, Jalik Rainwalker, Ayla Reynolds, and so many more. How have we failed these children so bad that the system put into place to protect them has caused them the ultimate harm or allowed them to vanish into thin air? Before we jump into Patrick's story, a couple of quick announcements. You can send over case suggestions and podcast feedback via the socials. Those links are always in the show notes, or you can email me anytime at canwefindthem at gmail.com. It is those little known cases that I want to share, perhaps the ones that you've heard of because it's local to you, or you somehow stumbled across their story. Please share any and all cases with me so we can see what we can do to share as many as possible. 
Lastly, a big welcome to our newest Patreon members, John G and Vanessa. Thank you so, so much for your support. If you're interested in supporting us over on Patreon, that link can be found in the show notes. Now, without further ado, let's jump into the story of Patrick Kennedy Alford Jr. Patrick was born November 28, 2002, to mom Jennifer Rodriguez and dad Patrick Alford Sr. They lived on Staten Island in New York. Jennifer was just 15 years old when Patrick was born, and she herself wasn't growing up in the best home situation. It's said that Patrick Sr. also had his struggles, mostly getting involved in crime and gangs in New York City. Three years later, the couple gave birth to a little girl, and Patrick, who had been an easygoing baby and toddler so far, enjoyed being a big brother. Patrick loved doing things that most seven-year-olds enjoyed, playing basketball, video games, and being silly just to make people laugh. Despite Jennifer and Patrick Sr.'s own battles in life, they felt determined to try their best for their children. They wanted better. They soon realized that that struggle would be much harder than they both thought. In September of 2009, Patrick was just six years old and his little sister only three. They found themselves in the middle of a domestic brawl between their parents and Child Protective Services would be called to intervene and check on the children. The children were not removed at this time, but this would start an open investigation with CPS. On December 26, 2009, the day after Christmas, Jennifer was caught shoplifting. She was taken to jail and her mother would arrive there to pick up the kids. When Jennifer got out of jail, she picked up her daughter, but she took Patrick Jr. to go stay with an aunt. On December 29, 2009, just a few days later, CPS arrived at the home to do a check on the kids. They found Jennifer in an impaired state, and she did admit to being high on PCP. CPS immediately took the three-year-old girl into custody, but they had to find Patrick. Because of Jennifer's compromised state, she couldn't remember where Patrick was. So after doing some investigating on their own, CPS found Patrick at the aunt's house. His aunt wanted to keep the children instead of them going into the care of the state or the foster care system in New York. But they told her that she would have to go through the application process herself. This would include doing a background check, passing a home study, and being approved for the children to stay with her. So in the meantime, the children were whisked away into the care of the state. The next day, December 30th, Patrick and his sister were taken to their foster home in Brooklyn, New York. The plan was that Jennifer would be going into rehab and that their aunt would start the process to get custody of the kids. Patrick, however, instantly became unruly and unhappy in his foster home. He wanted his mom and he was likely feeling scared and uneasy being in a new home with new people. And to further complicate things for Patrick, his foster mom only spoke Spanish and Patrick only spoke English. Patrick's behavior had become so out of hand within those first few days at the foster mom's house that he was referred to start working with a child psychologist. On January 6th, a hearing was held for his father, Patrick Sr., to get custody of both Patrick and his little sister, but he was denied custody mostly due to his lengthy criminal record. 
This would be the start of a rough few weeks for Patrick at his Brooklyn, New York foster home. The Disappearance On January 22nd, 2010, Patrick was helping his foster mother take the trash out. They lived on the 11th floor of their apartment building, and this building had a trash chute, one on each floor. Patrick was carrying a bag down the hallway, and his foster mother was following behind with another. Just as they had left the apartment, however, the telephone rang. Patrick kept walking towards that trash chute while his foster mom decided to go back in the apartment and answer the telephone. It isn't clear how much time went by before she went back out into the hallway, but when she did, Patrick was nowhere to be found. A quick search around the building also yielded no signs of the little boy. Patrick had simply walked out of the building holding a bag of trash and vanished into thin air. When some time went by and there were still no signs of Patrick, the local police department was called in to assist. Patrick Alford Jr. had disappeared. The Search By all accounts, it does seem as if law enforcement did act right away. There are even detectives to this day that will come out and say that this is the case that haunts them. When police showed up that night, it was late in the evening, yet they started searching the building immediately. They searched the trash chute itself, they searched every floor of that building, and they spoke to every resident that they could. There was only one resident who reported possibly seeing Patrick that evening, but this resident lived on the 16th floor, and if it was Patrick, why was he up there? Searches extended to nearby buildings, parks, and even down to Staten Island, where Patrick was from. Registered sex offenders in the area were interviewed, and no possibilities were ruled out. However, pretty early on, there was a focus in the investigation. It was possibly believed that Patrick's biological mother, Jennifer, had been involved in taking Patrick. In fact, some people had said they heard Jennifer talking about this, and several people commented about how desperately Patrick wanted to get back to Jennifer. Jennifer would be arrested and questioned regarding his disappearance for several days. She was put through extensive questioning, and she was finally given a polygraph test, which she passed. Jennifer would finally be released from police custody and would immediately resume the search for her son. I cannot imagine how traumatic that would be to be locked up and blamed for your son's disappearance, all the while having no idea where he was and not even being able to get out and look for him yourself. It is said that his biological father, Patrick Sr., was also cleared. It isn't believed that his foster mother was ever a suspect, although very little information was ever noted about that, which is interesting. In total, authorities would interview over 14,000 people. They would search over 200 buildings. They would search several bodies of water, and they even brought in search dogs. These search dogs were able to pick up a scent for Patrick, and they traced it to a nearby bus station at the corner of Pennsylvania 
and Schroeder's Avenue. This was right outside the apartment complex. So could Patrick have left on his own, hoping to get back to his mother in Staten Island? Or did someone take Patrick to the bus station and get on the bus? Or could he have gotten into a car? Brooklyn, New York. There were really two main areas of focus here. Brooklyn, New York, where Patrick lived with his foster mom and where he was last seen. And Staten Island, New York, where he might have been trying to get to so that he could be reunited with his mother. Both of these areas are boroughs of New York City. Brooklyn is located on the end of Long Island, just across the East River on the south side of Manhattan. Since he was last seen in Brooklyn, let's focus here. Patrick lived at the Starrett City Complex, which is described by Wikipedia as this. Starrett City is a housing development in the Spring Creek section of East New York in Brooklyn, New York City. It is located on a peninsula on the north shore of Jamaica Bay founded by Fresh Creek to the west and Hendricks Creek to the east. Starrett City contains both residential and commercial buildings. The complex at the time had over 46 buildings and thousands of residents. Patrick and his foster mom lived in building D2. In addition to Patrick's little sister being there with him, it was said that there were other foster children in the home as well, but how many and what their ages were? is unknown. The housing development at the time was low income and government subsidized, so I'm not sure if there were any security cameras in the building. There were no reports of any CCTV footage being obtained at any of the buildings. Police had also checked bus records and spoken to bus drivers since Patrick's scent was tracked to that bus stop, but they found no indication that Patrick had been on a bus. If he didn't get on a bus, Why was his scent only tracked that far? Why did it stop right at the bus stop? If he didn't get on a bus, could he have gotten into a car? There are many, many apartment buildings in that immediate vicinity, housing tens of thousands of people. It's a busy and populated city area. Yet no one came forward claiming to have seen Patrick. It was also after 9 p.m. when Patrick and his foster mom went to take the trash out meaning if he left the building then, it was very dark, and it had been dark for hours since it was January. And this is troublesome for a couple of reasons. First, it hinders the ability to find witnesses who may have seen something. Second, it's also troublesome because Patrick was only seven years old, and it was dark, and it was likely very cold. It was also noted that there were several waterways searched particularly Hendricks Creek and the Fresh Creek Nature Preserve. Both of these bodies of water are only about a half a mile from that apartment complex. Since that apartment complex sits on sort of a small peninsula, there is no shortage of water around it. Now, Staten Island, where Patrick may have been trying to get back to, is about 25 miles away. It would be a very difficult route for Patrick to take, especially on his own, unless he had hopped on a bus or gotten a ride somehow. But how would no one remember seeing a seven-year-old get on the bus by himself? Or 
Did someone give him a ride? This route would cross over several waterways as well. The Aftermath Family, authorities, and volunteers continued to search for Patrick, although no clues as to his whereabouts were ever found. Days went by, then weeks, and eventually months and years. But no one was giving up. Jennifer filed a lawsuit against the city, the Child Protective Service Agency, and the foster mom for neglect of her son. The suit would eventually be settled for $6 million, which Jennifer has put in a trust for Patrick in the event that he returns. This money is also used to fund billboards around the area. I started to do some research on lawsuits against CPS in the United States, wondering how many there were in these type of situations. And there were so, so many. I was overwhelmed. I was shocked. There are hundreds, probably thousands. This is a broken system and our children are the victims. Our children are the ones that are suffering because of this. In January of 2012, two years almost to the day from when Patrick Jr. vanished, Patrick Sr. was involved in a shooting. Now there are mixed reports on this shooting. It was mentioned that it was a gang-related shooting, which would make sense since Patrick was a known gang affiliate. It was also said that the perpetrators shot Patrick because they believed he was in possession of Patrick Jr.'s reward money, which had been raised to the tens of thousands by then. He, of course, didn't have it. Patrick was shot in the head and was left disabled. In fact, today, Patrick Sr. resides in a nursing home, unable to care for himself. Detectives involved in the case have come forward to periodically speak about Patrick Alfred Jr. and the effect that his disappearance had on them. Patrick was only seven years old in a vulnerable situation, and it was January in New York City. The temperatures were freezing cold, and the city is no place for a lost little boy. At one point, a private investigator was working the case and received a tip that Patrick was taken to Puerto Rico. That was never found to have merit, however, and while it is still a possibility, there is no additional evidence pointing to that conclusion, at least that we know of. Mobile billboards have been put up through the city, and the reward is now up to $250,000 for information leading to Patrick Alford Jr., Patrick is described as a biracial, having both black and Hispanic background. He was four foot eight inches tall and weighed around 65 pounds when he was last seen in January of 2010. Patrick was just seven years old then. He would today be 21. He was wearing a blue jacket, a red t-shirt, blue jeans, and and black and white Michael Jordan sneakers. Patrick has black hair and brown eyes. He also has a scar on his left eyebrow and a birthmark on his abdomen. His nickname is Little P. Anyone with any information on Patrick Alfred Jr. is asked to call the New York Police Department at 718-827-3551 
or Crime Stoppers at 1-800-577-TIPS. Remember, you can always remain anonymous through Crime Stoppers if you choose to. Someone had to have seen Patrick that night. Someone out there has to know something. Where could this boy have gone? Where could he be? Do you think he ran away? Do you think he was possibly abducted? Or perhaps he ran into foul play? Or maybe even succumbed to the weather and had an accident that night? With so few clues, it's hard to say. But regardless, Patrick's family needs and deserves answers. In fact, the entire community needs and deserves answers, as Patrick has found a way into the hearts of everyone in that area. Thank you so much for listening to Patrick's story today. At just seven years old, Patrick wasn't given much of a chance at life. He deserved so much better. There has been a Facebook page set up for Patrick. You can find that at Help Find Patrick Alford. There's also an Instagram page set up for him. You can also find that at Help Find Patrick Alford. Please go follow and like these pages and show your support to the family. And of course, this case again reminds me of all of the children who have been failed by CPS. Too many to name here, but the cases we've covered in particular, the cases of Harmony Montgomery, Ayla Reynolds, Jalik Rainwalker, Adam Herman, and Oakley Carlson, and now Patrick Alford Jr. These are cases that are never far from my memory. Keep sharing Patrick's story. Someone out there just might have the answers. Thank you again to our newest Patreon members, Vanessa and John. We couldn't keep going without your support. Please consider joining us over on Patreon or as a paid subscriber. Membership starts at just $3 a month. You will get weekly bonus episodes, and this helps us fund donations directly to the family. Of course, if you'd like to keep up on these cases and donate to the families directly yourself, we often share those links where you can do just that on our social medias. You can find the Where Are They podcast on Instagram, X, Facebook, and YouTube. Those links can always be found in the show notes for you as well. Thank you again for tuning in to Patrick Alford Jr.'s story today. We will be back again very soon with another unsolved missing persons case. And until then, stay safe and hug your loved ones.